Well, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Our text this morning is James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For when he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to hear from your word. We praise you for your word. It is our light in the darkness. It is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. And may it now shine into the corners of our hearts and expose where we are double-minded, where we are fractured, that we might be made whole and mature and perfect. In your name we ask this, amen. We know that James writes this letter to confront these fractures, this duplicity or hypocrisy in our lives. It is a kind of hypocrisy that says one thing but does another, that makes a claim but lives a different way. It speaks one thing but treats others in ways that are inconsistent with what we claim to believe. James captures this kind of life with the word double-minded. And so far, James has made it clear that God brings trials into our lives to refine our faith, to purify it, and to make us whole, to make us perfect, to make us without flaw. And so our responses to trials reveal just how double-minded we are. And all of us have these fractures. All of us have these divisions in ourselves. All of us are double-minded to some degree. That's why we still need to be made whole, perfect. God, on the other hand, is the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning, no change. That is, he is perfect. He is without flaw in his being. He is without flaw in his character. And that's why verses 17 and 18 display God as the father of lights, perfect in every way. And these verses end the first part of his letter. The second big part of James's letter starts here in chapter 1, verse 19, and it will run all the way to chapter 3, verse 12. And it has four sections. And each of these sections makes an argument 
that exposes our double-mindedness. These four paragraphs, large paragraphs or sections, shine a light on our double-mindedness, on these fractures in our lives. The first one, and you can see the breakdown here, the first one begins here in chapter 1, verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers. The second uh, begins in chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers. The third starts in chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers? And the last begins in chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. So these four sections are four arguments really that parallel each other. James is not not building. He is using four parallel arguments to expose this double-mindedness in us. He's exposing the same problem. And his first topic is the word, the word of truth. Beginning in chapter 2, verse 1, it's the issue of partiality. It's distinguishing or sitting in judgment on people. In chapter 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, is the question of what is real faith. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he talks about the tongue, how we talk. In James chapter 1, 19 through, really through 27, James is exposing duplicity in our lives by challenging how we respond to God's word. Do we neglect it or do we do the word? Now, this morning we're looking at verses 19 through 25, and next week we'll tackle verses 26 and 27 on their own. But James begins here in verse 19 with a proverb. It's a proverb that warns us against anger. He talks about listening and speaking, but verse 20 zeroes in on this issue of anger. So, being quick to hear, being slow to speak, means being level-headed, non-angry, living in a non-angry mode of life, that is marked by not speaking rashly because we're quickly offended, not speaking quickly and rashly because we're irritated or angry. And being slow to anger means that when we encounter injustice, when we encounter unfair treatment, when we encounter misunderstanding or disagreement or competition for something that we want, We have a really long fuse, so long, in fact, that anger never erupts unless it is righteous anger, indignation. And the reason given in verse 20 is that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Producing the righteousness of God here means living in a way that is consistent with God's righteousness. Righteousness is the opposite of evil. It's the opposite of wickedness. And it includes God's exercise of just rule over right and wrong. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for 
righteousness. He's talking about the kingdom there, God's exercise of his righteous rule. So when James says, produce the righteousness of God, he's talking about righteousness that is treating others in a way that squares with or is consistent with God's just or right treatment of other people. Our anger cannot produce a life that squares with God's righteousness. It cannot produce a life that pleases him. We cannot live in anger, in bitterness, in resentment, and claim spiritual maturity. We cannot live in anger and think that we're growing in righteousness, that our love for God is growing or our love for others. The issue of anger, by the way, is one that James will confront several times in this letter. I believe it is part of the reason that he writes Anger, conflict, we'll see it again. To understand then why producing righteousness is so important, though, we have to look back at verse 18. This is how James ends one subject before starting something new in verse 19. He says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. God has brought us forth by his own will, to be the first fruits of his creatures. So here's the progression in James' thinking. Because God has brought us forth through the word of truth, we are people who are compelled to produce God's righteousness. How do we do that? Verse 21, by receiving the implanted word. Well, how do we do that? Verse 22, by being doers of the word. So this morning, I want to give you a two-step response to the word of truth, a two-step response to the word of truth so that your life will produce the righteousness of God, so that you can live righteously. Receive the word and be a doer of the word. First, verse 21, receive the word. This presence of anger, this need for righteousness, call for action. Therefore, put away, put away, or throw off, shed. Not just anger, but all things. But his focus is anger. It's everything that belongs to our old lives, our old lives before God gave us new life by the word of truth. But he is still focusing on anger. He still has anger in mind. And he's describing anger here as filthiness. This is dirty, offensive, what we would say, gross. Shed it. Throw it off. It's something that can't be tolerated. Rampant wickedness conveys the idea of an ongoing battle. Perhaps you've been to the fair or carnival, you've played the whack-a-mole game. It's a thing where you take a mallet, the little moles pop up out of the the holes, and you whack one, and every time you do, one pops up over here, and you got to whack that mole, and you got to whack this, called whack-a-mole, whack, whack, whack. 
That's what the fight against sin is like. Every time you whack one, every time you deal with one, something else pops up. And until we're made whole, until we're made perfect, that is life. That is resisting sin. That is putting off or throwing off rampant wickedness because it's always popping up. To win requires ongoing work and an exertion of the will. Put it away. Usually when the New Testament uses the put away or put off imagery, it adds as the alternative to put on. For example, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, 9, and 10, Paul says, put them all away, anger, wrath, and he lists a bunch of things. And he says, you have put off the old self and you have put on the new self. And because you've put on the new self, Put on then or clothe yourselves with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That is a vivid picture of transformation. And our efforts, our responsibility to cooperate and participate in what God is doing in our lives to continue to transform us. But James, instead of saying put away and put off, And then put on, he says, put away, put off these things, and instead receive. Receive with meekness the implanted word. So put away and receive. The implanted word, in its most narrow sense, is the gospel message. And we saw this last time when we were looking at verses 16 through 18. The word of truth. This is the message of truth. This is the gospel But in a broader sense, it's all the teaching of Christian truth that comes out of the gospel, all of its implications. It's talking about a body of truth teaching. That is the word. James's writing, remember, in the early days of the church, there is no New Testament. In fact, I've I've even suggested that James is the first Christian literature, that it's the earliest. Though the Gospels record things that happened earlier, James is actually the first Christian document. And so the word is the Old Testament plus the apostles' teaching that clarifies the meaning of the Old Testament. That is the word. Even before it is all written, what would become our New Testament? This word implanted, this word is implanted in you. The word has taken up residence in your life. It has brought us forth, it has given us life, and now it has taken root. That's the idea. James is saying that God has fulfilled his promise in Jeremiah 31, 33. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is the implanted word. So the word is an inseparable part of our new life. We have access to that word, and we have new hearts that enable us to know God and obey him. 
And James is saying, receive that word with meekness. We do that when we submit to it. We do that when we cooperate with its work and its presence in our lives instead of resisting it or undermining its work. Meekness, we think of meekness as weakness. Meekness is the opposite of angry. Anger is selfish, ultimately, and we're going to see that in James's letter. Anger is selfish. Meekness is selfless. Because this implanted word is able to save your souls, receive it. The implanted word is able to complete the ongoing work of transformation. So the word exerts the power of God to begin salvation and to finish it. But how do we do this then? What does it mean to receive the implanted word? How can we cooperate with the word of truth that is planted in us? Now we're getting to the heart of it. This is step one, receive the word. Step two, be doers of the word. Verse 22. So there's the progression. We need to produce the righteousness of God. To do that, we must receive the implanted word. To receive the implanted word, we must be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Now notice, okay, this is important. James is not contrasting hearers with doers. James is drawing a contrast between two kinds of hearers. What James is saying is that there are many who hear the word, but there are hearers only, and there are hearers doers. The contrast is between two types of hearers. One hears the word only and fails to respond to it. One hears the word and responds with action. But both are hearing the word. It's as if James says this, receive the implanted word, and he anticipates someone responding, receive the implant. Awesome. I receive the word every Sunday. I go to church and I hear it preached. I listen to three podcasts a week, maybe more. I'm in a Bible study. I receive the word there. I'm in a community group. I receive the word there. I go to Bible college. I go to seminary. I receive the word. James is very clear. Hearing the word does not necessarily mean receiving it. Hearing is necessary. But it is possible to hear only. And if we hear only, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves that we're receiving the word and producing the righteousness of God. But that is not receiving the implanted word. To hear only is absurd. It's absurd to hear the word only and think that you are producing the righteousness of God. And here's how James makes the point, verse 23. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now I ask you, what is the point of a mirror? Why do you look in a mirror? Self-correction. You look in a mirror to see what's messed up and what you need to correct, what you need to change. This word intently means purposefully or deliberately. That is, it's someone who's looking into a mirror for the purpose of self-correction. Now imagine that you're at your favorite Italian restaurant back when you didn't have to be six feet apart from everyone and weren't wearing masks. But you're at your favorite Italian restaurant and you have ordered spaghetti and meatballs and the red sauce and it's good and you're eating and you're with some family or friends and your spouse or your parent or whomever it is kind of looks at you and goes, you got, you got something. It's very clear, subtle, but you got something on your face. And you go, and you take your napkin wipe and they go, you go, excuse me for a moment. You get up. And you go into the bathroom, and you're trying to figure out what in the world has happened with my face. And you go in the bathroom, and you realize that that spaghetti sauce has kind of made its way down your chin and on. And you're going, oh my goodness, no wonder my wife or my husband or whoever it was was trying to tell me had spaghetti sauce on my face. And you go, oh, I'm sure glad they told me, and I am sure glad I saw it. And you walk out of the bathroom. And you go and you sit back down at the table. And your husband or your wife looks at you and goes, right? You say, that's absurd. But that is what James is trying to, that's the point he's making. When he says forgets, he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. He doesn't mean that somebody walks away from the mirror and forgets about it. To forget means to neglect. It means to not act on what you know. This is what God means over and over again in the Old Testament, especially in the law, in the Torah, the first five books of Moses, remember. How many times does God tell the children of Israel to remember? Remember my laws. Remember my ways. Remember my instructions. If you forget them, if you forget them. He doesn't mean forget my word like you'd forget your keys or that you had an appointment. He means neglect. To forget is to set aside and not treat as important. That's what James is saying. He is saying that someone who looks in a mirror and sees a mess and then walks away neglecting what he or she sees in that mirror. That's what hearing the word but not responding to it is. And you say... That's absurd. And I say that is James's point. 
Someone who hears the word that has brought us forth, that is able to save us, but doesn't act on what that word says, is like someone who looks at himself in a mirror, sees a mess, and says, whoa, I'm a mess, and then walks away and does nothing about it. Now, wouldn't it seem ridiculous to you if that person congratulated themselves for looking into the mirror? Oh, man, I look in the mirror every day. I don't change a thing. I look in the mirror every day. She might feel relief that she's done her duty to look into that mirror every morning for 15 minutes. He might put it on a certificate on a wall that he has looked into the mirror every day and is a professional at looking into the mirror but still fail to act. We do this all the time. All the time. We read the word. We study the word. We know the word. We fail to act. This neglect, this forgetting is deceiving ourselves, verse 22. To hear only but not respond is to live in self-deceit, is to live under a delusion. This is the first type of hearer, someone who hears only. But, verse 25, but the one, this is the other hearer. This is the hearer-doer. This is someone who hears The word and responds. Instead of looking and neglecting and walking away, this is someone who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Okay, so James is talking about the word, the word of truth, the gospel, and now he's talking about the law. Probably because it is written. It is the reference point for the word of truth. We usually think of the law in negative terms, and there's a reason for that. We've spent over a year in the book of Romans, and over and over again, Paul points to the, the incapacities of the law. The law condemned sin, but it couldn't save us. The law reveals God's holy standards, but we can never keep it. Certainly, the New Testament teaches these things. But James sees the law as positive, watch, because it is the law now fulfilled in Christ. And it is the only Christian document they have. Now they have James's letter. But it's the only document they have. The apostles' teaching clarifies and expands on it and explains the law and its role. But James calls it then the law of liberty because that is its ultimate result in Christ, liberty. The law is now given meaning because Jesus kept the law perfectly. And therefore, the law of liberty points to the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, 33. We are now liberated to obey God. So the one who looks into this perfect law, the law of liberty, 
He is secondly one who perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, neglects, but a doer who acts. The one who perseveres is someone who doesn't stop short at merely looking into the mirror, but actually corrects what needs correcting. So someone who doesn't stop short at hearing, but presses on to act. The result, he will be blessed in his doing. In other words, he will be blessed in producing the righteousness of God. Now, the last time James used this word, just used it a few verses before, back in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. James says here that this person who looks into the perfect law of liberty sees it give an accurate reflection about what needs to be corrected and responds to it and acts on it will now be blessed in his doing, will know the favor of God. You know what James is doing here? He is looking back at Psalm 1. He's looking back at Psalm 1 and how Psalm 1 bears on the Christian life. Psalm 1 reads like this, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not participate with the wicked, the sinners, and the scoffers. But, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That's what James is talking about here, looking intently into the mirror, looking intently at the law of liberty, meditating day and night. Verse three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is being blessed in his doing. It is knowing the favor of God and the fullness of blessing because we respond to the word. Verse four, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. That's the contrast. James is drawing the same contrast. Only James is making the point that just because you hear the word doesn't mean you are someone who meditates on it and does it. Jesus said the same thing in Luke 11, verse 28, when he proclaimed, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Not blessed are those who hear the word of God. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So the conclusion is this. What kind of hearer are you? kind of hearer am I? Don't think pastors are somehow exempt from being hearers only. You ever wonder how a pastor gets into a place where he falls morally or walks away from the ministry, walks away from God? Newsflash, somewhere he became a hearer only. It happens. What kind of hearer are you? 
It is this passage in James, along with others, from which our core commitment at Crossway emerges, obey the truth. Obey the truth. As a local church, we are committed to being doers of the word, not hearers only. The word is a mirror that reveals what you and I need to correct, what we need to change. It is the light that exposes in us this double-mindedness. Are you the kind of hearer satisfied because you hear the word preached, because you discuss the word in a study? Because you listen to podcasts of your favorite preachers and teachers? Or are you the kind of hearer who perseveres and makes changes when the word of truth exposes those fractures, those duplicities in your soul? That's the question each of us must go forth and answer today. And Lord, by your grace, you will help us to answer it. Lord, help us where to see where we have been hearers only. And for most of us, each of us can, will be able to identify where we've been hearers only as well as doers at times. We're all in different places of our growth and our maturity. Lord, thank you for the convicting work of the Spirit. Thank you that you are shining this light on us into our hearts for our good to refine our faith that we might produce the righteousness of God. Help us to be doers of the word, to look intently into it, and to allow it to show us what needs to change. In your name we ask this, amen.